Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a, a bunch of blind men trying to figure out the elephant. And I'm here today with Lada Gorlenko. Hi, Lada. Hi, Lou. It's great to have you on the show. And it's about time because we've been working together for something like uh, a good five years now. Is that right? Five years? Yeah, it's yeah. been five years. So um, Lada uh, does a number of things. Uh, uh, she is a director of UX research at Smartsheet in Seattle, which is a, a pretty cool company. It's a, a very cool product and also a very great place to work, as I understand. So we'll let you uh, tell us a little bit about Smartsheet in a moment. But um, I am selfishly going to mention that Lada is the lead curator this year for the Enterprise Experience uh, 2020 conference, which is going to be in San Francisco, June 10th through 12th. Uh, that was my job, and I got kicked upstairs. I used to be the lead curator, and, and they don't want me anymore. Um, so uh, Lada has um, has um, gently eased me out of the way. We're actually going to have lead curators for all of our conferences moving forward, and it's a great thing because uh, uh, I just get in the way. Uh, and Lada... You started off five years ago at the very first Enterprise Experience Conference. It was actually Enterprise UX back then as one of Dan Wills' storytellers. And I think you did that, was it three years in a row? It was three years in a row, you, yeah. You're the record holder. Yes, and then he had enough of me, so you had to bring me backstage as opposed to front stage. So Lada made this transition from storyteller to curator and now to lead curator of this conference which is really exciting for me because um, I just love that uh, you've been involved in different ways for the long haul. And it'd be really great to get a sense of not only what you've seen change in the enterprise UX space over that time, but let, let's wind it back a little further back uh, to a small town in the, was it in the Caucasus or I can't remember. Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Can we go that far back? Is that Okay. Uh, well, we can quickly go that far back is I was born in Ukraine. The accent is Russian. The passport is British. The partner is Australian. Uh, the son is American. So it's <laughs> Wow. Okay. So um, uh, wherever you are, uh, um, I guess you're a citizen of the world. You found your way into UX. How did that happen? Yeah. It wasn't my first career. I started as um, an assistant psychologist in a prison uh, back in Ukraine. And I did research there for several years on personality changes in long-term imprisonment, which means that my sample I used to work with, they all had, all women had long sentences. And half of them were first degree murderers and half of them were drug dealers. I never complained about stress at work since. <laughs> uh, no honestly it was really i was still in college it was a really incredible experience of uh thinking about people and people's lives and how something because the research i was doing was feeding a rehabilitation program we were designing without having that words in our vocabulary we were designing a rehabilitation program that would be tailored to the needs of different people mm -hmm. and a different psychological profile. That's why we had those two very different groups uh, with um, distinctive psychological profiles among murderers and drug dealers. So we could 
tailor the rehabilitation program and walk them through that rehabilitation uh, as they were uh, leaving the prison or even as they're entering the, the, the prison. Uh, kind of long-term research and uh, long, long-term designing for long-term outcomes. So you, again, you, and no really... capability is there, but it was really interesting how everything ultimately connects to that idea of thinking the target audience and designing with target outcomes in mind. And that's kind of the story of my life. So kind of designing for behavior change, right? Well, it's interesting. About it then, right? Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, we have uh, our next book coming out is Amy Booker's uh, Engaged Designing for Behavior Change. Uh, In fact, I'm doing a podcast with her later today. Uh, So I'm excited to uh, know that and after five, six years. I didn't know you were, you were doing this too. Um, what, I mean, what did you learn about, uh, designing for behavior change with people, you know, that are coming from such dire situations? Um, uh, did you find that there was any specific, um, uh, uh, success that, um, you've been able to bring into the enterprise uh, UX space? I mean, if you, I guess if you can get a murderer to change, can you get a CIO to change? <laughs> oh, I hope so. Uh, I think that the biggest thing was understanding back then was empathy. Because very often we look at those people, especially at, at convicts, as they did something. And we pay attention to the what, what they did. And having gone through that, uh, research and haven't talked to a lot of them, the why behind the what, what kept me up at night and the circumstances and the reasons and the rationale. And I think that became that the kind of connecting tissue of my entire career and life is looking beyond the what and understanding the why. And I think that especially in enterprise experience, because an enterprise experience, we have very distinctive audiences of um, enterprise buyers, people who buy enterprise products and who look at it from the top-down perspective, people who maintain enterprise products and look after them once the product made their way into enterprise, and people who use enterprise products, who we call end users. So having empathy for all of those distinctive audiences within one ecosystem and understanding the why behind the what of their decisions and the why behind the what of their needs. And that would help. First of all, it helps to look at them as different audiences, right? I was designing, and that's a whole idea, 25 years ago, I was designing a rehabilitation program for convicts. We decided not to look at them as convicts. We decided to look at at two very distinctive audiences and find those distinctions. In the same way, the enterprise is executives or buyers and users are different audiences. And maybe there are some other different audiences. Let's understand who they are. Let's look at them who they are. And let's figure out the situations in which they work, make decisions, and the whole context of why they respond to something and why they don't respond to something. So the, the whole that ecosystem thing. And that's why I like enterprise because it's a complexity. Well, before we it's leave uh, your yeah. work in the in the prison system in Ukraine, um, if you were, now, now you're a UX person and you're a very experienced 
uh, a UX person. Um, if you were going to go back 25 years to that work and develop personas, would they be, hmm. would, would you have a persona for murderers and another for drug dealers? Or would you actually get beyond, as you're saying, the, the, the actions that they did, which aren't really who they are, it's just a part of who they are, but would you have found a very different breakdown looking back on it? Like they, you know, based on how they were raised or what their motivations were or something else? That's really interesting because no one ever asked me that question. So thank you. I think they would be different. Yes, they would be different. And part of that would be a little bit of demographic segmentation or psychographic segmentation in our case, because these are really different personality types. That's yeah. one thing we did. Uh, because one group, for example, murders, they gravitate what, what's called extra punitive reactions. The reactions are outfacing. And drug dealers or drug offenders, repeat drug offenders, they um, channel anger inside themselves. Hmm. Right. So there is a natural um, distinction between those two groups. However, within them, I would say, yes, probably looking back at that, there would be different personas based on. And I have no idea right now on what specifically, but definitely would be different types, different types of um, um attributes or things how they got there and different types of support mechanisms that they would need to once they get out and recreate their lives so let, let's take that that whole experience forward now so um that was about 25 years back uh how did you move into what would be traditionally considered design i i had another career scene for about five years um Bef uh, after that, before I moved to UX, I was doing cross-cultural research in management development, which was also really interesting because I had two very distinctive culture. I lived in England and um, we did uh, cross-cultural management training for the post-Soviet uh, managers. So we had how to unite those two very different cultures at the time, how to build the bridge and how translate not just an, in transition, not just the knowledge, but translating the, the mental models. Mm -hmm. It's not a language translation. Language translation right. is the surface. So it's almost like the way I would compare it when you translate languages is it's a equivalent of a visual design. You can reskin something. But how do you translate mental models? For example, in uh, Russian, to teach and to learn has exactly the same root. And the whole idea of the training program we were doing at that time was based on the difference between learning and teaching. And like, oh no, is to learn in Russian is to be taught. And you're asking me to center the, the training around two completely different things. We have to find something. Mm -hmm. So, and again, that was also part of, I, I consider my two previous uh, unrelated to UX 
uh, careers as part of UX, because again, it's all about understanding people. It's all about designing for the target outcomes. In, in that case, our target outcomes were again behavioral change or adopting certain behaviors, certain knowledge transfer. And no matter what we design, whether it's a rehabilitation program, whether it's a training course, whether it's a product, the universal principles of design and the universal principles of research and even methods are the same. I've been doing longitudinal research for over 25 years, mm -hmm. right? I was doing that and I did, did longitudinal research about that knowledge transfer. And guess what? My team and I were still doing longitudinal research and product adoption. It's exactly the same research framework. And that's fascinating. What's fascinating to me about research and design is the context, they can switch, but the methods and, and the underlying uh, our knowledge and the basics, it's like laws of physics and laws of design and laws of cognition, they're the same. And uh, the, the kind of my message I always give when I, uh, mentor um, young researchers or speak is I still believe that I somehow after that uh, trying uh, different things I stumbled upon UX about 20 years ago and that was it that was the revelation this is mine and no matter what I do next because I have probably a good 20 more years of my career left the skills are super transferable yeah, I mean, this is uh, the the thing that you know. Uh, I know I've been trying to communicate to people who are younger and getting into the field that it's not just about the craft that you're going to learn at a program like uh, General Assembly or or in a in a college setting. It's, I mean, you know, the the skills that come from social sciences and humanities and really any area are are really what we need. I mean, you're illustrating that so well now. And, you know, the next person I talk to will probably have a theater background and another person I'll talk to cut their teeth in the military and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet they make fantastic UX people because of those Absolutely. experiences. Absolutely. So how did you find it? How did you you, you discover? It sounds like it was how, somewhat accidental. How I found, how found UX, that was interesting because um, uh, my... Uh, husband at the time, he's, he was a computer scientist. And I was always a humanitarian person. I was panically afraid of anything math-related, computer-related, anything else. Yet, uh, I, I knew I wanted something else and, and that the cross-cultural management development wasn't exactly the right fit. I liked it, but it wasn't perfect for me. Something because of the bureaucracy, I worked with the European Commission because of the lots of bureaucracy facing it, lots of politics, just not my forte. So I needed something else. And then he helped me discover uh, a program. We live in England. He helped me discover a pro program called Cognitive Science at the University of Birmingham. The word UX didn't exist there. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have, the design was industrial design, pretty much, right? And he he discovered for me, he looked at it, look, it's interesting because it's a program that's owned by School of Computer Science and School of Psychology. So you can do it. You can do a master program in that. And like, no, no, computer science, no. He's like, let's do it this way. You know psychology. You already had you already have master's degree in psychology from Ukraine. So you pretty much need to pay attention to only half of the program. 
and I will have a PhD in computer science. I'll help you with that. I'll hold your hand. Let's see what's going to happen. Right. And it was the year 2000 and it was just upcoming software, everything else. I said, fine, fantastic. I needed to get a degree in England for all the kinds of visa purposes um, to be able to stay there. So I took that deep dive knowing someone's going to help me through that. And uh, it was really interesting because, again, it wasn't the UX program, but it was in my introduction into the world of uh, software products. And when I graduated, I actually started working. My first job was at British Telecom as um, a researcher um, looking at how uh, haptic and vision work together in virtual reality. Hmm. We're talking about virtual reality in the year 2001. Right. But again, it was more about human cognition rather than specific products. We we're just looking at the underlying uh, mechanisms. And but that was a fantastic introduction for me thinking about, oh, there is a product. There is something I can apply my um, degree and my background in psychology to a completely new, different domain. And since then, it's, it's history. Mm-hmm. I, my first proper UX job was at IBM. They had a very small UX team, which was part of uh, IBM corporate. At that time, it was called Ease of Use Group. Before the big idea, IBM design mm-hmm. arrived, the small corporate Ease of Use Group that was spread across Austin, Texas, which became the, the, the IBM design as we know it now. Right. Uh, Toronto, Canada. Carl Vredenberg is a mentor of the mentors of all yours. He's still there. Mm-hmm. I don't, he, he's an IBM lifer, and I don't know how many years he's been in IBM, probably 40 wow. at least. And he was a huge mentor in my life. Thank you, Carol, for that. And Warwick, UK, where I used to live at the time. So we had a very small group trying to figure out uh, how to support the growing UX disciplines in IBM and how to enable it. And there were no UX specialists in the, within that group because most of my colleagues, they came from computer science and they were just passionate about people. So they became the first generation of UXers. A lot of them were computer scientists who were passionate about people. Engineers with huge hearts. And that's how it all started. And aiding us younger generation at the time of, oh, you have psychology to be fantastic. We need you in the mix because you provide a different perspective. Oh, you have a design, industrial design background. Fantastic. We'll add you in the mix. You'll become a story designer, right? Or it wasn't the interaction design term then because I remember that discussion with Dave Malouf and Greg Petrov and others, right? Mm-hmm. Would define what interaction design is. But they recognized because there were fant- great engineers with huge hearts they recognize the necessity of different perspectives. And that's how we started building and mixing multiple generations and multiple um, backgrounds in that emerging UX discipline. Getting the blind men together. Good old days. I'm, I'm speaking like a super old person. Like, hey, in those good, remember those good old days? But to some extent, they were like the good old days because everyone no one was a uxer and everyone had that the sort of everyone was in transition 
and, and the diversity and inclusion was, without ever saying it, was perfect. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the good new days. So you, you, you were at IBM, you spent time at Microsoft, and then you moved to smaller companies. You were at Artifact, and, and then are now at Smartsheet, which not long ago was a startup. And if uh, I understand, it's far beyond, very quickly going far beyond a startup to how many people there now? Well, I joined, I was employee number 480 almost three years ago, and we have 1,700 now. Wow. So what's that like? You're, you're at a, 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 well, you know, a company that might not be small anymore, but might still think of itself small or its culture may still be the culture of a, a slightly smaller company. And you're bringing these enterprise chops to that setting. How's that going? Mm-hmm. It's been a really interesting journey because Smartsheet was founded by another bunch of great engineers with huge hearts. And they ju- they started the product and Smartsheet in the business of work management products is I always say this, my brand team will slap me on the wrist for saying that, but I say it's project management for everyone, right? Because we all manage our work. We all have different projects in our lives. So that democratization of project management is what the growing um, category of tools like Smartsheet is all about. How can we make our lives simple? And because the company was started by engineers with huge hearts who really wanted to respond to customer needs, they faced a really interesting design challenge. The product grew in a sense they were chasing customer needs. Customer wants this, let's deliver that. Another customer wants this, let's deliver that. Because there was a love of the customers without understanding necessarily because design arrived, UX design arrived at Smartsheet with the company was oh my God, eight years old? Mm-hmm. It was pretty mature by then, right? Uh, and the challenge of, and design was much welcomed. We grew, uh, Kate Anger, my boss who started the team, she was the one and only for a while. Uh, six years ago, she joined, and now she has a team of over 30 wow. UX people doing incredible things. But there is an interesting challenge is how, um even with the best intention in mind, uh, we can create products that are not well designed because the design thinking and and the system thinking at that level and the knowledge and education that we have now to help create streamlined products from scratch. It's, it's a really interesting challenge. So that the kind of connecting the two thing for me is I applaud startups who understand that they have to have that knowledge in-house from the very beginning right and i've seen again it's the even with the best intention in mind you create can create challenges for your product to grow we've now overcome most of those challenges as much speaking about legacy and everything else having that design being part of the very first uh, core teams is going to help companies grow, is going to help companies ultimately scale and do things faster and smarter at the same time. Now, it's interesting because this whole journey from startup to enterprise and the role of UX in there is one of the themes that we're going to be covering 
at uh, Enterprise Experience, and you've pretty much, you know, developed the themes for this year's program. Uh, and it's really exciting. I mean, it's it's a very different way of doing the conference than we have in the past. Uh, it's really re-energized the program in many respects. Why don't you run us uh, through uh, what the, the basic themes are going to be? I know we're not quite 100% there yet but we're about 90 percent there and uh, and i know the program is uh is going to come together in the next possibly few days but uh i know we have some of the themes uh nailed down fingers crossed yes and yeah. one of the things indeed uh because before smartsheet i was in large companies ibm and microsoft and, and british telecom and the last three years have been hugely eye-opening for me in terms of how the companies uh experience quick growth and quick change and what happens. And I was super passionate about telling, not necessarily our story of Smartsheet, but telling the story of that rapid growth and, and lessons learned. And that's why I am very excited that Kit will be leading that theme because uh, she, has grown, she, has, Kit Unger, she has grown multiple uh, UX teams from one to a larger UX teams multiple times. So she's in the perfect uh, place to put together that story and we already have some fantastic um, content there. Mm -hmm. Another theme uh, emerged something from my conversations with uh, attendees of previous enterprise experience conferences is that very often, especially when we do conferences in San Francisco, is we have lots of speakers and lots of attendees from the new type of industry from high-tech industries. While UX is becoming more and more part of the old kind of industries, I roughly call them brick and mortar, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily all brick and mortar in the classic sense. UX helping to transform and transition very well-established industries like insurance, finance, government, uh, healthcare, and others, um, manufacturing, uh, transportation. UX is now helping transition those industries and helping them transform not just digital transformation, but uh, helping them find new opportunities as businesses. So another theme would be a compilation of those stories of how UX being a relatively new kid on the block of those 100-year-old companies how they integrate with the companies and how they being those internal agents help transform their companies and through transforming their individual companies how can they help transform the whole industries i'm i'm super i'm super um excited about that particular thing because it, it will help all of us especially people who work in um, technology field appreciate, we say enterprise problems are always complex, but to be honest, our complexity is nothing compared to the complexity of our colleagues in those old brick and mortar-ish, railroad-ish kind of industries. Or as you found, prisons. Or in prisons, right? Right. Exactly. I, I've never complained about work stress. And so, you know, what you think, you think, it's tough for you to get a seat at the table, dear Tech UX. Listen to that story. Lada, thank you. We'll be back with Lada Gorlanko in just a moment. 
I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from an enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. We're back with Lada Gorlanko. Uh, Lada, uh, let's continue on the themes for Enterprise Experience 20. Okay, so we just covered that UX being agents of uh, agent of change from within old companies and old industries. We also have a theme where we invite external agents and agencies who we use to help transform our in-house um, teams or augment our in-house team and help us drive transformations from within. So theme number three, led by Dan Willis, who's being an awesome shepherd of uh, the best feature of enterprise UX and enterprise experience conference storytelling. Thank you, Dan, for introducing me to the conference. He will be leading a theme of how agencies can help in-house teams with the transition and transformation. Some fantastic content there will have perspectives of insiders, outsiders, people who transition from agency world to in-house world, people who transition from enterprise world to agencies world, and what lessons that they learned and what specific tips they have for enterprise from the outsider perspective and from the perspective of someone who's been on both sides of the fence. And to tie it all up, we'll have the last theme of the conference will be how UX helps transform companies and how UX goes beyond the product. How can we design culture? And coming from a company that has of multiple awards for our culture and smart sheet culture, I would honestly say is probably, if not the, then one of the biggest assets we have. Having that understanding of, oh my God, culture is something that we can design, help design. And the importance of company culture in current world, it's, it's this thing that attracts people or this thing can let people go, right? In the talent world of today, 
culture is something that's your biggest competitive differentiator. So the final theme will be uh, on that cultural transformation and how UX can help other disciplines to transform within enterprises and how we can help our organizations design for a particular culture. So Shell Kimen from Ford will be one of our theme leaders, either for theme one or for theme four. And I just want to give a note to her. Thank you very much, Shell, for joining us this year. Awesome. And, and of course, we've got uh, some fantastic workshops, four of them that uh, Uday Gajandar, uh, the past curator, has put together. And uh, we've got Trisha Wong as our keynoter. Uh, this is all going to be happening June 10th through 12th in San Francisco. And the conference is called Enterprise Experience. Uh, but we are talking to Lada Gorlanko, uh, the um, director, uh, I'm sorry, yes, director of UX Research at Smartsheet and the lead curator of the conference. Um, and uh, we're going to wrap it up with a question for you, Lada. You, you, um, we always like to ask about a, a book, uh, a person, an idea uh, that you want to gift to our listeners. What comes to mind? The book that I want to give to listeners is the book that I probably bought at least two, maybe three dozens of copies in the last 10 years and gave it to many, many people. Is called Why We Shop by Packer Underhill, who is an urban anthropologist. And it's a really interesting book. It's not a I think it should be one of the core books on research, and it has nothing to do with research methods. It's a bad side book that will you read in in one evening, but it's about a book of how to observe people behaviors and how to think about the con context. And something such as a very consumer-focused context as shopping inspired me to think about enterprises because the way Paka describes how his team observes people's behaviors in stores and how complex uh, those nuances of where do we position the product, why people, how people think about different things. The whole that complexity and the, this, the complexity of a seemingly simple environment you walk in the store, you, you think you know what you're doing. Not necessarily true. And made me think about there's so many things at enterprises that there are big levers we can pull, but there are dozens and hundreds and thousands of small levers that, that play in that undertones, uh, that play in the experience and the context and so many things we have to take into account. And that's why I keep loving enterprise and that's why it's to me never ending um, intellectual stimulation because there's so many undertones, so many nuances and so many different levels. Well, I love how you put that. Uh, it, it, you know, rather than going big in the enterprise, maybe it's better to go small often. Uh, and, uh, the book again is Paco Underhill's Why We Shop. And it's been recommended to you by Lada Gorlanko, the director of UX research at Smartsheet. Lada, it was great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Lou. Great talking to you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd 
love it if you tell a friend to have a listen. And please check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.